0: Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Well, good evening. If I have not met you yet, it is really nice to meet you. My name's Chris. I do see quite a few unfamiliar faces in the room tonight, particularly kind of over this end. So hi, guys. It's great to meet you. Hi, hi Sam. I know already know you. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's really great to meet you. If you are like just dropping in and saying hi, or if you're looking for a new church home, welcome. It's really wonderful to have you. If you are, by the way, looking to make Northridge home Go and visit the welcome table and just fill your details in on one of those little cards. And it means that Jen and I can get in touch with you during the week and say hi. It means we can give you our uh, almost weekly emails, which have been almost monthly recently, but they'll go back to being almost weekly. Anyway, you have come on a good night tonight because we are relaunching our epic series to kick off this year on the Gospel of Luke. And I say relaunching because three weeks ago, Maddie McKenzie started off the series uh, which I need to say publicly say thank you to Matt, because I sort of said to him, "Hey, man, if our Bob decides to come a bit late, there 's a chance you might need to preach on Vision Sunday. There, oh there you are. You might need to preach on Vision Sunday. And like two days beforehand, he was saying, "Hey, Chris, um, do I need to preach this Sunday?" And I was like, uh, I still don 't know. And then kind of Friday Friday night, we have a baby. I 'm like, "Hey, Matt, you need to preach on Sunday." So thank you, Matt, for doing that that 's awesome. Um, Then we had a week off due to inclement weather. Uh, We had Vision Sunday last week, and here we are at week two of our Luke series, which is really exciting. uh, I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time. Now, why are we studying the Gospel of Luke together? The reason for this is pretty simple. Jesus, in three years of ministry, the, the, the recorded Gospels that we have in the Bible, take place over the course of about three years. In three short years, Jesus went from being completely anonymous to being the most influential person in the history of the planet. Think about that for a second. Three years. You know, whether regardless of what you think of this Jesus guy, it's pretty safe to say that he is the person who has influenced humanity more than anyone else in history. It's incredible the way that Jesus managed to influence so many people. And if we take... The Great Commission seriously. If we believe when Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, if we take Him seriously in that command, then who better to learn from if we want to do that than Jesus Himself? So what we're doing is, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're having a look at uh, some of the interactions that Jesus has with different people in His ministry, and we're, we're specifically looking at the question: how how does Jesus relate to people? And how can we learn from that? How can, we, um, how can we live like Jesus in the way that we interact with people? And tonight we're kicking off by looking at a passage that I personally find to be one of the most challenging passages in the scripture. And I kind of gave it to myself when I was planning this series as a bit of a, like, a, bit of a challenge for myself. Uh, it's the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, uh, which, is, which I'm going to read to us shortly. Uh, It's in Luke chapter 18, so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you open up? This would be a good one to kind of follow along with because we're going to work sequentially through the passage in the first part. So while you're opening that, I hear this whisper coming uh, from within us saying, Chris, tell us more about the context of the Gospel of Luke. To which I say, very good, that's the correct question to be asking. Um, when, When you're picking apart a book of the Bible, it's always good to know what it is you're reading. So while you're opening it up, let me give you a really brief context for this passage. So Gospel of Luke is actually the first half of a two-part volume, the book of Luke, and then the book of Acts. They're written by the same guy, uh, this guy called Luke, and they're intended to be read one after the other. At some point in church history, someone decided to stick the book of John in the middle. We don't hold any judgment against them, but anyway, it kind of breaks up the flow a little bit, but that's fine. We'll work with it. Now, Luke as best we understand, Luke was a doctor. So he's quite an educated guy. And at some point after the death of Jesus, he decided that it would be a really good idea to get the best, most accurate possible account that he could, he could find of the life of Jesus and the early church. And so Luke actually borrows quite heavily from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And so when you read through Luke, you'll find there are quite a few parallels. The passage that we're looking at tonight appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so as I'm preaching, if I'm including details that don't, aren't exactly in, uh, in, in the account that we're going to read, it's because they come from either Matthew or Mark. Now, the structure of the Gospel of Luke, it happens in three parts. The first part is, is kind of like the introduction. It's the, um, it's the birth of Jesus. It's the first few years of his life, and then also the first kind of week or so of his ministry. The back third of Luke talks about just the final week from when Jesus comes back into Jerusalem until his death and resurrection. And this middle part, this is where we find ourselves tonight. It's kind of like this selection of assorted stories that happen on the way uh, for Jesus' ministry. So we don't exactly know where this story is happening or um, or who Jesus is speaking to. Um, So in that sense, we're going to kind of take it on its own terms. So if you've got Luke 18, we're starting from eighteen eighteen, and we're reading through to verse 27. Cool. It's all good. I got the clicker. Thanks, Ben. All right. The rich ruler. A certain ruler asked him, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered. "'No one is good except for God alone.' You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this passage incredibly difficult. And there's a few reasons for that. The main one for me is that, if I'm really honest, when I first read this, it kind of feels like Jesus is being a bit rude. You know, we've got this guy who seems to come to Jesus quite honestly. He asks him a question that Jesus has the answer to, and it kind of feels like Jesus mucks him around a little bit, makes an impossible ask and sends him on his way. What's going on? And on first reading, it almost comes across as if the main message of this passage is that, according to Jesus, it's bad to have money and influence. I think one of the problems that we come across when we read through this passage and don't dig into it is that we, we kind of miss the conversation that happens between Jesus and this rich young ruler. And we get stuck on this ask, leave everything, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And because we're so focused on this part of the message, we miss the conversation and we we kind of don't see where Jesus is coming from. So what I want to do in tonight's message is I actually want to kind of preach two mini sermons. I want to take this passage from two different angles. Uh, And we're actually going to have a, a short time of prayer ministry at the end of each. Um, partly, I just want to illustrate the way that, depending on how you read a passage, you can come to quite different results. Um, but at the end, I want to talk about this, this final question, who is the rich young ruler, and see how that kind of ties these two different threads together. So, you ready? Great, thank you to the four of you who answered. Um, it's, I, I should stop doing that, it's a bit too cheeky. Anyway, uh, sermon number one, I'm calling this one, It's Not About the Money. Now, to to get at this angle, we want to start with the question that the rich young ruler asks. So we get that in verse 18. He says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, often when uh, people of authority and influence ask Jesus questions in the Scriptures, they're asking it as a test or a challenge. That doesn't seem to be what's happening here. So first of all, I think this is actually a rich young ruler coming with a legitimate question that's on his heart. The second thing to point out, which you wouldn't know unless you read a commentary, is that this this address, good teacher, this isn't a typical um, address that you would use towards a teacher. The word that's used for good here really only refers to God, and that's what Jesus picks up on in the response in the next verse. And so the fact that this ruler has come to Jesus and said, good teacher, it implies that he has a certain amount of respect for Jesus and also a, a quite, quite an understanding of who Jesus actually is, which is really significant. Um, finally, I want to point out that when the rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The kind of life that he's talking about, it's not kind of living and breathing. He doesn't, he's not asking how to live ever. What he's asking, the kind of life that he's asking about, it's that life to the full. Do you know what I mean? Life to the full. And so here's the situation that we find ourselves in at the start of this passage. We have someone comes to Jesus who has vast resources and authority. He's someone who clearly takes his faith in God seriously. We get that when he responds to Jesus' list of those commandments. And yet, despite all of his wealth, his authority... And this, this relationship, this kind of religious uh, relationship with God that he has, there's something missing. For all, of, for all that he has, this rich young ruler, there's a desire burning in his heart that hasn't been met. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's not an unfamiliar narrative, is it? Is it? You know, when we think of it like that, it's, we start to be able to relate to this rich young ruler. You know, I think even when we have a relationship with Jesus, we sometimes find ourselves asking, there must be more. There must be more. Um, Jim Carrey has this very famous quote. He says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And I kind of feel like that's the rich young ruler's problem here. So what does Jesus say in response? Well, it's not kind of what you'd expect. You know, if someone came up to you, uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian person, if you love Jesus, and someone came to you and said, you know, I've been, I've been really, there's something missing in my life. If you're a Christian, tell me about Jesus. And you said, well, you know the commandments. You know, honor your mother and father, don't murder. It's not quite the response you'd expect, is it? Why does Jesus do this? Well, it comes in the wording, You see, I think the wording in the question is really important. This rich young ruler, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so even though it might seem a little bit cheeky, I think Jesus is actually responding on the terms of the question. So I think it's a legitimate response. Now, the next thing I find really interesting is, so Jesus, he says there, um, you know, Uh, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler comes back and says, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, to our modern Christian ears, that sounds like a little bit of an arrogant response. Um, But Jesus doesn't seem to take a problem With that response. And in fact, when you read through this account in Mark's gospel, it actually says when when the rich young ruler says, I've done all of these things, I've kept all of these commandments, it actually says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, which I find really interesting. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, but I think it's important to point out at this point. This is when we get the kicker. Jesus says, One thing you lack, sell. All that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And this is where I personally get stuck in this passage. I want to go out on a limb here and I want to suggest that the problem here, the reason Jesus says, sell all you have, give it to the poor. I don't think that Jesus has a problem with the rich young ruler's wealth. Now work with me here. You know, the, the church, like, and I say when, like the big C church, the church worldwide over the last few decades has learned very clearly that the gospel is not that Jesus wants you to be rich and wealthy and successful. He, he might want you to be rich and, and prosperous and successful, but that's not the gospel. We call that the prosperity gospel, and we've learned that that's really not one of the core messages that Jesus came to preach. Um, but... I think that we can sometimes fall into this trap, um, this inverse but, uh, this 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 similar but opposite trap of thinking that Jesus wants us to be poor, and I think you could quite easily come away from this passage, getting the message that Jesus wants us all to be poor and not to have any money or resources, or authority. I don't think that's the case here. You see, money. Jesus doesn't say that money is the root of evil. He says that the love of money is the root of all evil. You see, money is a means to an end. It's a tool that we can use for good or for evil. The problem here in this passage is not the rich young ruler's money, but it's the state of his heart. And I want to illustrate that by uh, using a parable that Jesus tells. And it's actually a parable that I shared about last week for Vision Sunday. And it's the parable of the sower. You see, In the parable of the sower, I'm going to give you like the short version because I shared it last week. But in the parable of the sower, we have this farmer who's scattering seed uh, out on his farm. And, And the farmer represents God spreading the word of the kingdom. And some of the seed falls onto the path and it gets eaten up by birds. So it never really takes root. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground. And so although the seeds take root, there's no moisture. And so they don't get very far. Some of the seed falls in good soil but among weeds, and so the weeds grow up alongside the good crop, and eventually the weeds choke out the crop. And then finally there are still other seeds that fall in good soil. They grow and they produce a harvest. You see, I think what's going on here is the rich young ruler is an example of the seed that falls among the weeds. What happens is, you have, this, you have this healthy crop, which is planted in good soil, and when you look at it, by all accounts, it's doing really well. But the weeds grow up alongside it, and as, as good as that crop might look like it's going, eventually the weeds take over. And I think in this scenario, this man's wealth is the weed that is choking him out. You know, by all other accounts, he looks like he's doing really well. But there's one thing, Jesus says, there's one thing that he lacks. You know, one of the hardest things that I have had to do um, as a pastor is to walk alongside someone as they lose their faith. Uh, it's, it's really difficult. Um, but in my experience, and I know, I know there are all kinds of experiences that people have, but in my experience, the times that people lose their faith are not these times, you know, they don't find something in the Bible that kind of undoes everything and, you know, they leave in a big... Um, uproar, or it's not usually because of some massive upset with the church. It's usually because they're kind of going along. They're, their faith looks really strong. You know, it's going pretty well, but there's been something else that's been growing up alongside that. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's their wealth, like the rich young ruler. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's the way that other people perceive them. Maybe it's sex. And and over time, this seemingly really strong Christian sort of succumbs to, to these weeds and they begin to choke them out. You know, I don't think that having weeds in your garden has to be a death sentence to your faith. You see, I think we're actually given the opportunity to do some weeding. And I think that's what God wants to do for us tonight. I think this, this story is particularly confronting to us as Western Christians because wealth and prosperity is something that we take very seriously, and I think it's a weed that grows on a lot of our gardens. I wonder what your weeds are. I want to show you a picture of our garden. Sorry, Jen. This is our garden. Um, so we, if you've been to our place, you'll know that out the back of our um, we've got this like, kind of tiled area, and then there's this really poorly thought-out useless patch of dirt that we have that I think was included to like, meet green space requirements in our unit complex. Uh, anyway, it's a bit useless, and we have all these weeds that grow um, over our neighbour's back fence, and so we kind of have this six-month cycle where um, the weeds get cleared, and then they reseed, and then they grow back. Um, now, I could get in there, and I could clean our garden. I could get rid of all of the weeds... It would take me all day, if not two days. Uh, and I would probably do a bad job. I'm really bad at gardening. So what we do is we have our friend Garth. Um, he, I told him about this earlier, and he asked if he could uh, supply some business cards, but I said no. But um, we, have, we have our friend Garth, who's the landscaper, and we call Garth. He comes over an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and all the weeds are gone. And then he sprays down the ground so that they don't grow again for a few months. Now, we probably should call Garth to do this a little bit before he gets to this point, but that's another story. But what, the reason I'm telling you this is that I think sometimes when we see mess in our lives, we try and clean it up on our own. And we think, you know what, I, I've got this, I can deal with this. And you know what, the truth is you probably can, but there's someone who can do it much faster and much better than you can, and that's Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask Jesus to come in and do some weeding. So we're going to, we're going to have a short time of ministry now, mid-talk, and then we're going to continue on. Uh, so everyone stand. If you're falling asleep, you can wake up now. Awesome. Everyone stand up. Now, how is this going to work? I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, this, this whole weeds thing... I think if you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I'm probably all good. I think, I think I've got most of my life in order. And that's kind of the danger zone for this. Um, sorry to, to kind of burst the bubble. Maybe you are all good. I don't know your heart. But the Holy Spirit knows your heart. So we're going to invite God's Spirit to come and speak to us. And if He reveals that there's, there's something in your life, maybe that's kind of growing up alongside your faith, that has the risk of choking it out, then... Uh, then I'm gonna, we're going to ask him to highlight that to us. And if he highlights something like that, then uh, I'm going to invite you to... I'm going to kind of lead you through this, but I'm going to invite you to pop your hand up and people around you are going to come and pray. Now, really importantly, no one is going to ask you what that weed is. I realize it could be quite confronting uh, to talk to strangers about your kind of dirty laundry um, or your, your dirty garden like I've got up uh, on the screen. But when no one's going to ask you, the only prayers, if you're praying for someone, the only prayers you're allowed to say are, Come Holy Spirit, more, and thank you Jesus. Is that cool? We can do that? Awesome. And the Holy Spirit is going to do the uprooting of the weeds. So, um, if you find it helpful, you can put your hands out in front of you like this. It's just a symbolic way of saying that you're open to what Jesus wants to do. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. You can close your eyes and I'm just going to say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, if there are any weeds in our lives, if we are in the danger zone, if there are things that are fighting for that first place in our hearts, Lord, would you reveal them to us now? Reveal them, Lord. And some of you already know what that is. Some of you already know. Just keep your ears open because I believe there are some of us who are still waiting to hear what that is. Lord, reveal that to us now. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our hearts. Now, remember, no one is going to ask you what the weeds are. Um, if you feel like God has prompted you or, if you, or if you knew the moment I started talking about weeds, if you know what that is, then I just invite you to be real brave and just chuck your hand up in the air nice and high just so we can see you. That's awesome. Thank you. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for being brave. Don't be afraid. That's great. So good. Now, if you keep your hand up if you have your hand up. Keep it up nice and high. Now, if you are near someone who has their hand up, Let's just gather around and begin to pray for these guys. If uh, you can lay hands, it's always good to ask if it's someone you don't know whether whether it's okay to lay hands. But let's go church. Come on, let's gather around. Everyone gets to be a part of this. If you have never prayed before for someone, then this is your opportunity to do it for the first time. The three allowed prayers are, Come Holy Spirit, more Lord, and thank you, Jesus. So just gather around. That's good. Just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, just begin to come and rip out these weeds, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come and tend to the garden of our souls, Lord. Come and tend to the garden of our souls, Lord. More, Lord. More. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Wow, thank you for being brave, team. That's awesome. Everyone, come take a seat. Now, as you're taking a seat, uh, if you were just receiving prayer, the image that I have for you is that you've got a whole lot of, you see those like kind of long one long weeds that grow really tall? God's kind of given you a pile of those, and they're the, that's, He's just taken them out of the ground. And you've got them in your hands, and you've got two options. You can go out to the green bin and you can pop them in there, and someone will take them away, and you'll never see them again. Or you can drop them on the ground and they can sort of like re-germinate. I don't know anything about plants. Like they can re replant themselves in the ground and, and just keep growing somewhere else in your garden. And so what are you going to do with those weeds in your hand? What are you going to do? All right. Now, we are going to continue on from there for two reasons. The first one is if we finish the message there, it's good, but it's a little bit depressing. Um, And the second thing is there's actually a whole other dimension to this story that we haven't explored yet. And we get this second perspective, which, there we go, we did that. Wealth does not equal blessing. Okay, there's this this second uh, part of this message, it comes by looking at this really interesting kind of Jewish cultural thing that we don't really have to the same extent in our own society. Now, it's really important to understand that at the center of everything in Jewish culture at the time of Jesus is this concept of honor and shame. We, have, we, we know what those words mean, but we don't have them in our society to the same extent uh, that Jesus, uh, Jesus' day had. And one of the ways that this came out is that there was this really strong sense, and you get it, you see it again and again when you see Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and the uh, religious authorities. They had this really strong sense that if you were wealthy, it was because you were doing really well and you were being blessed by God. And if you were poor, it's because there was something wrong with you. You'd done something, there was some sin in your life and God was punishing you. So there's this really strong sense of honour and shame. And when you think about this, it kind of reshapes the way that this passage works a little bit. Firstly, you realize that actually for this rich young ruler to realize that there was something wrong in his life, for him to come to Jesus and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That question reveals that he had a surprising amount of insight into his own situation for someone in that day. The second thing is, remember that response where he says, well, you know, Jesus, all these commandments you've listed, I've done all of them since I was a boy. Remember that response and how that's a bit jarring to us? This is probably the reason why he responded in that way. You know, he's, he's young, he's rich, and he has a lot of authority. And so presumably, he would have looked at his own life and thought, well, clearly I'm doing pretty well with God if he's blessed me like this. So within his own context, that answer makes sense. But perhaps most importantly, when we consider this cultural context, we learn that this request of Jesus to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor becomes doubly confronting. You see, not just is uh, this rich young ruler being asked to give up all that he has in a material sense, but he's actually being asked to take this this sort of show of his great relationship with God the evidence that he's doing things right according to the law, and to give it to people who, according to their culture, are doing everything wrong. How confronting is that? And so when Jesus has this conversation with this rich young ruler, when he asks this rich young ruler to give everything he has to the poor and to follow him, he's directly addressing this this incorrect cultural assumption that they had. It's, it's seriously profound when you consider how, how tied up their culture was this, with, with this belief. Now, I don't want to say that we know better nowadays, because the truth is I think we still sometimes accidentally get this sense of, uh, of you know, wealth, equals, uh, wealth equals blessing. Um, but I want to address a couple of other of these underlying cultural assumptions we have that I think God wants to deal with tonight. The first one is, I think sometimes in church culture, we look at different churches and we assume that churches that are really uh, big, well-funded, and well-resourced are the ones that are doing the best work. Now, I actually happen to have a lot of respect for some of the big churches that are in our area, and I think they do amazing work. Um, and I, I think it's also important to point out that um, just if you have a church that doesn't have a lot of resources, it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing better. But I think when we think about churches and we're assessing um, how they're going and, and what they're doing, we need to lay down this underlying assumption that bigger and flashier equals better. I th- and particularly, where I think that's particularly relevant is when we think about what we want to be like as a church. It's easy to look at these kind of you know, really successful churches and want to imitate them. And I think there's definitely something we can learn um, from churches that are doing it really well. There's definitely something to learn. Um, but the best question to be asking is not what are they doing, but what is God doing in us? The second cultural assumption I, th- I feel like God maybe wants to tackle um, is that, uh, and this is, this is something that John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, which we're a part of, uh, that he talked about a lot, which is sometimes we kind of, in churches, we build this false separation between the people who do the ministry and the people who are ministered to. Um, one of the unfortunate things about the, what, the format in which we do church, and you know what? I love the format in which we do church. It's not going to change. There's good reasons. But one of the, the kind of byproducts of, of this sort of format is that it kind of subtly reinforces this idea that there's the people up the front who have the gifting, and then there's the people in the audience who need to receive the gifting. But the reality is, what we do here is like, it's two hours out of our week, and our our Christian faith is not something that's supposed to happen for 2 hours a week. It's something that happens 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year or 366 if it's leap year. You know, Jesus has he has invited every single one of us. If you know if this is your first time in church tonight, if you have like been struggling to keep up with this, with what I've been saying or, or with, with what the Bible says, then you are still invited to be one of the ministers of the kingdom. There's this, there's this saying that John Wimber had. I absolutely love it to bits. He, he said that everyone gets to play. And when he brought that, that saying to the church, it was absolutely revolutionary. This idea that everyone in the church gets a part of the ministry of Jesus um, in our world. But I want to take it even a step further, and I want to suggest that everyone needs to play. You know, if we are going to impact, like what we were talking about last week for Vision Sunday, if we want to impact the world around us, then it takes all of us. And so, I really believe that there's this cultural assumption we have of the the ministers and the ministered to, and I, I feel like Jesus wants to smash that down tonight. Um, the final one that I want to I want to have a go at. Uh, is there's another cultural assumption we have. And I've I've heard this, kind of, I heard this a lot more when I was younger. Um, and I don't know whether this, how much this still exists in our church today, but certainly when I was like 18 to 25, I heard again and again and again people saying that God is going to do amazing things through our youth and through the next generation. Now, I absolutely believe that is true. I believe that there is the the people who in this room who are between 0 and 25 years old, God has amazing things in store for you guys. He has amazing things in store. But I think sometimes we emphasize youth at the expense of celebrating the gifting and the wonderful things that the older generation and all the other generations have to bring as well. You know, what if God wants to bring revival through our over 65s? Yeah, come on. Absolutely. You know, we have like I love Bernie so much. I'm so glad you're here tonight, mate. I was thinking of you. I was thinking of you as I was writing this. And you know what? Like God does it again and again in the scriptures. He'll take someone who we would think is past their prime and he changes the world. Like think of Moses. He was someone someone help me out. He was like 80 years old. He was 80 years old when he began his ministry. Isn't that insane? You know, the, and what I, so what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, I think there are some of these cultural assumptions that we have um, about, you know, the people who do the ministry up the front, or it's all about the young people. Um, there are some of these cultural assumptions we have that Jesus wants to deal with. So the way we're going to minister into this is, rather than like, you know, oh, I have, I have wrong ideas and I want to let go of them. Although that's, that's good too. I feel like God wants to empower the people who really get fired up about this stuff. Is that cool? So let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. Now, if you have been kind of getting excited about what I'm saying here, about releasing everyone to do the work of the kingdom and breaking down some of these false cultural assumptions, if that if this is getting you excited, then this is we're going to pray for you now. So um, and if you got prayer before, you, you're allowed to get prayer again. You can't like there's no limit to how much prayer you can get here. So same same deal again. I don't need to explain the process again. Good. Okay. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. Just begin to move in our hearts now, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Lord, just begin to reveal to us some of the lies that exist in our culture, some of the uh, the systems of, of oppression that keep people down, that stop people from stepping into their full destiny as the people of God. And I just believe that there, is, there are particular issues that just really make you angry, that there's a bunch of you who are just almost feeling a sense of rage as you think about these problems. And I just sense that the Holy Spirit is is putting on you like a fire, Um, and he, he, he wants you to pay attention to that because he hates injustice. He hates injustice. And in this time in ministry, I believe that if that's you, if you're feeling that kind of fire about a particular issue, I don't know what that issue is. It doesn't have to be one of the ones that I listed. Um, if you are feeling a, a, that, that kind of fire in your heart, then what God wants to do tonight is He wants to equip you to help be one of the ones that breaks that down. So if that's you, um, can I just get you to put your hand up nice and high? That'd be awesome. Don't be afraid. Everyone gets to participate in this. If you're fired up about injustice, put your hand nice and high. Nice and high so we can see you. Now, no one's going to ask you what the thing is. It's the same deal as before. That 's between you and God at this point, um, but if you if there is someone with the hand up uh, near you, can we just begin to pray and just begin to bless these these people? Three prayers are allowed, come Holy Spirit, more Lord, and thank you Jesus i'm just getting this picture of a set of a set of footprints that are kind of going through going down like a path, and the footprints are already there and and we're, like each of us, we're all, uh, we're all walking in those footprints. And what God is saying is, you're not walking down a path that I haven't walked before. Jesus dealt with this stuff all the time. At every turn, he was breaking these systems of oppression in his society. He's done this. He's walked this before. It's not about having all the answers. It's about obedience. It's about partnering with him. So Come on, Holy Spirit. Set our hearts on fire. Hmm. Just like one more minute. Right. In a second, I'm going to say amen, but I want you to stay standing and stay where you are because we're going to do one more thing before I finish up. Amen. So, amen for you guys. Now, I just, I really, when I was saying that thing about. All of all of the generations bring like doing the work of the kingdom. I feel like God was really on that word. So if you are I'm gonna make the cutoff, if you are over fifty years old, can you put your hand nice and high in the air? We're gonna pray for you because I feel like God wants to bring do a new thing. I feel like God wants to do a new thing through um through through the older generations say that so lovingly as well by the way just kind of like going past the elephant in the room all right if there's someone with their hand up come on let's get around these guys and let's just let's really pray for these guys and girls let's just release that blessing to do the work of the kingdom lord jesus thank you that no one is disqualified in your kingdom that no one is disqualified And Lord Jesus, I just sense that you are doing good work through these beautiful people. You are doing good work through these beautiful people, Lord. You are doing a new thing. That there is a fresh outpouring of your Spirit coming. Lord, I thank you for the collective wisdom that is in this room, the wisdom that has come from years of doing the journey well. Lord, we really need that. We need that, Lord. We recognize that we need that. So, Lord, would you just release that in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for a new sense of of unity between the generations. new sense of unity between the generations, Lord, please. Lord, just release that. Lord, give us the humility to learn from people who've gone before us. Give us humility, Lord. Lord, I just pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Amen. Oh, Amen. So good. All right. We are a little bit over time, so just take a seat wherever you are now. We're going to kind of wrap this up in like two minutes. Because there is one really, really important bit that we haven't touched on yet. We've talked about, we've talked about the fundamental problem um, that we find in this rich young ruler's heart this weed of wealth and the way that it was choking out his relationship with God. We've talked about these underlying cultural assumptions that we have and the way that this passage demonstrates the way that Jesus came to break those cultural assumptions um, and release everyone into ministry. Um, But up to this point, aside from a little bit of what I was talking about in our prayer time the first time, basically all of this depends on us. Like, of course, we're recognizing when we're praying that we need God's Spirit to empower us. Um, but we've talked a lot about what I can do, and you see that the, the problem with doing that is that's the same problem this rich young ruler made. He came to Jesus saying, "What can I do to inherit eternal life?" And do you see the problem with that question? And so I want to finish by asking the question: Who is the rich young ruler? And I want to kind of mess with your minds a little bit because I believe that there's actually two rich young rulers in this passage. There's the rich young ruler, and there's Jesus. You see, you have the King of heaven, the Son of God himself, to whom all authority belongs in heaven and on earth. And yet, Philippians 2, 5, 8 You see, in Jesus, we have a rich young ruler who deserved all wealth and authority. He had it all in heaven, and yet he chose to give all he had to serve the poor. You you see, Jesus, when when he makes this impossible ask to the rich young ruler, he's not asking him to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. You know, just a few verses later, and and you'll notice we haven't even touched on this bit yet, but Jesus says it's like for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. It's just not possible for us. But it is possible for God. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus did the impossible. He gave up everything that he deserved the one person who deserved God's love. He gave up everything on the cross. He poured it all out for us. And through that sacrifice, through what he did in the way that he emptied himself, he made it possible for us to make that journey too. You see, if you want to see these underlying, you know, if your heart's burning right now for some of these, for breaking some of these systems of oppression that we have in our society, if you are, if your heart is burning to do some weeding in the garden of your soul, the good news is that you don't have to do it yourself. You know, doing it, doing it properly, doing it in an eternal way, it's not possible for us, but it is possible for Jesus, and He made a way through what He did, through His death, and through His resurrection. So I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go to supper. Hmm. Well, Lord Jesus, we, just, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. Lord, we just want to recognize that in all of our strength, that there is nothing that we can do on our own to inherit eternal life. The task is just too difficult. But Lord, we thank you that through your death and resurrection, you achieved that for us. That you made a way where there was no way. That you are the God of the impossible. And so, Lord, whatever it is that has captured our hearts tonight, Lord, I ask that as we go into our week, that you would continue to do that work. Lord, that this wouldn't just be a a moment of inspiration. Lord, that you would just continue to draw us deeper, Lord. Lord, we want to be those seeds that are planted in the good soil. Lord, we want to see a harvest. We want to see a harvest from the way that you are investing in our lives. So Lord, we we say thank you and we say yes to all of your plans for us. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So good.